What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Alrighty. Hello and welcome back to another Wisco Fanatics Wednesday. I am riding solo today while Jake is getting over an illness. Uh, Jake will be kind of rolling along in the comments section, but I am doing the show live on my own today. Uh, just got one Bucks game and a couple of Brewers series to talk about today. Nothing uh, nothing super crazy. I do think as far as the Bucks game goes, there are some things that could potentially uh, maybe take some people off the ledge a little bit as far as basketball's games are concerned. And thankfully, we get to watch tonight as the Bucks try to even up the series before heading to Miami. Um, so we're going to start with that game. Uh, Jake and I didn't do a power pair because there's only one game this week. Uh, so just going to jump right into the game. <clears throat> Early on, it kind of felt like uh, in the first quarter right away that the – I hate I hate even bringing this up because I don't like to use it as a, a point of emphasis on the game. But the officiating was questionable at best. Um Jimmy Butler getting a phantom and one while Joe Ingles is guarding him. Um, Bam Adebayo getting an and one. That should have been a charge. Um, Giannis was in position, should have been a charge, is what it is. Um, two missed travels, missed, um, you know, it's just the Bucks just couldn't get a call, really, what it felt like. And then Giannis gets a call, it's all offensive, similar to the one that he drew that should have been an offensive foul on Bam. Um, the one that Joe Ingles got called for a block on, I believe it was Caleb Martin driving to the basket. I mean, Martin lowered his shoulder into Ingles stomach torso and leveled him over. I mean, I don't, that's honestly, in my opinion, that was as clear as day that that's basically the definition of a charge uh, that was also called a block. But with Giannis going to the locker room, it was good to see Bobby Portis and Jay Crowder bringing the energy. Uh, Jay Crowder did struggle in this game, but seeing him play with energy like him being an effort player with uh, Wesley Matthews being out tonight and Giannis being questionable. I do think that Jay Crowder is a guy who's going to get uh, more minutes today. So we'll see what this is. Um, yeah, like we all as long as the officiating is the same both ways, but I don't care. It wasn't. That's 
that's fair. I mean, consistency, it's something that we bring up a lot often um, talking about the strike zone with the Brewers. Um, consistency is key. You know, if you're calling things a certain way, call them both ways. Uh, and it didn't feel like that was the case with the Bucks and the Heat, especially in the first half. <clears throat> um, so Drew Holiday sitting with two fouls, Chris Middleton getting rest, and Giannis in the locker room. The Bucks did cut the Heat's lead down to nine without the big three on the court. Um, with Giannis back on the bench, Chris Middleton hit a jumper, cut the lead down to seven, got an offensive rebound and second chance points. It was a big boy play by Chris Middleton to go get that offensive rebound and then finish with the second chance points. Um, Max Struess then got hot after that, and that was one of Jake's keys to the game was not allowing Max Struess to get hot, and that's kind of what happened. Um, so I wanted to give credit for, for Jake for calling that out and for it being a situation that didn't go in the Bucks' favor, and it ultimately contributed to the Bucks losing. Um, after that, the Bucks they kind of just hung around. Bobby Portis and Chris Middleton were keeping pace with the Heat. Um, Giannis then went back to the locker room, and Bobby Portis carried for a solid four minutes. Um, scored a bucket, drew a charge in the next possession, Next possession for the Bucks. Chris Middleton got an and one. But the Bucks were really, they're really going on a run. Um, they went on a nine nothing run. But the story of this game is Bucks go on a run, the Heat go on a run. So the Bucks go on a nine zero run. Miami spawns with a seven zero run, and the leads push right back up. Um, I think this is something that Jake would probably agree with. Is every time the Bucks cut the lead to, I'd say maybe seven or less, they started settling for three-point shots early in possessions. Uh, and ball movement was one of my keys to the game. And that was something that it worked for a while and it would get them to, you know, to close the gap, but it couldn't get them over the hump. So getting into the second half, I did think it was interesting that Javon Carter started the second half instead of Bobby Portis. Um, should Giannis not be good to go tonight? I would say that Bobby Portis would be the guy in the starting lineup and Javon Carter would be one of the primary backup defenders. Um, it was Jake. I'll, I'll ask you. Um, I think Drew Holiday should be the primary defender of Jimmy Butler, especially with Wesley Matthews out and then probably a little bit more Jake, Crow Jake Crowder minutes. Um, Jake said his real assessment of the game is the Bucks were lazy on defense. You can call it rust if you want, but we looked slow need to be the aggressors on our floor. And Jake, I think I do lean the rust direction because of the way they shot the three-point shot, which I will get to because I want to uh, parallel it to something else. So second half, Drew Holiday was face-guarding Jimmy Butler. The Bucks really just struggled from the three-point line. Um, the Bucks weren't shooting the three-point ball well, but they were scoring very well in the paint. So I'm looking for tonight for the Bucks to be pounding the paint and then just basically just progressing towards their, their regular 3.0% average. And, you know, you, you primarily go in the paint and you just have a normal night from the three point line and the Bucks win. That's, that's really all they need to do. Um, and should they play defense the way that they're capable of? I'd, don't have a problem saying that the Bucks can win this game by 15 points. Um, so 
Bucks closed the gap a couple times in the third quarter, but they really just couldn't get over the hill. It's what it felt like. Bucks would close the lead down to three and get pushed back up to 12. They'd close it down to five and get pushed back up to 15. Um, it just couldn't get over the hump. Fourth quarter, Chris Middleton scored five straight. Um, he was playing good defense as well. I want to give Brooke Lopez credit. He had one possession where Brooke Lopez, <clears throat> it was Bam Adebayo setting a screen for Jimmy Butler. And Brooke Lopez got switched on to Jimmy Butler. He stuck with him the whole possession, forced Jimmy Butler to give the ball up. So I wanted to give Brooke Lopez credit for that. He put 100% effort into defending Jimmy Butler uh, on a quality defensive possession. So Brooke Lopez absolutely, absolutely deserved credit for that possession. Um, Jake said he would also have Drew start on Jimmy Butler and that Brooke Lopez can dominate Bam Adebayo inside. Not many can, but I do think Brooke Lopez is one, and that's something that um, I'll just I'll just get to the parallel, um, and I'll I'll bring that point back up, Jake. <clears throat> so it was good for me to see Chris Middleton playing well. He had thirty three points, nine rebounds, four assists. Um, Bobby Portis had twenty one points, eight rebounds. Grayson Allen had an efficient twelve points. He was five for seven from the field. Uh, Joe Ingles was the only Milwaukee Buck to hit three or more threes. Um, nobody else hit more than three. Uh, I should say nobody else hit more than two. Uh, Joe Ingles was the only one to make three. So here's, this is essentially the tale of the game in my eyes, even before you get to defense, is three-point shooting. So Miami was 15 of 25, 60%. The Bucks were 11 of 45, that's 24.4%. So the Miami Heat shot, outshot the Bucks by 36% from the three-point line. That is the third largest margin in playoff history, and teams are 39-0 and 0 when out shooting their opponent by 25 or more percent from the three-point line. So that's really what it boiled down to for me from the three-point line. Now, regular season, the Bucks were a 36.8% three-point shooting team. It's good for 10th in the NBA. Miami was 34.3%. That's 27th. In the NBA. So this is one of those things where the law of averages is strongly on the side of the Milwaukee Bucks. So there's comfort in some numbers there. Uh, this is here's the parallel that I wanted to make. And I'm going to get back to Jake's point because it re all revolves around the 2021 playoffs. Game one in 2021 Bucks faced the heat. Miami shot 40 percent on threes. The Bucks shot 16 percent on threes. The Bucs did end up winning in overtime, but Giannis played that entire game. Um, you come down basically to a Chris Middleton game winner, and that's the difference in that game one back in 2021. So very similar parallel there from game one. That game, just another rust game. The final score of that game was 109-107. So that's, that's there. Um, and then 2021, to Jake's point, Jake said about Brooke absolutely being able to dominate Bam inside. What I want to get back to is the last time that Giannis was injured in the playoffs was the Eastern Conference Finals in 2021. During those games five and six that Giannis missed, they went heavy Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez, I don't remember if it was game five or game six. Jake, maybe you can look it up for me. Um, Brooke Lopez had 30 points in one of those games. So be using Brooke Lopez, and it wasn't all behind the three-point line. And we just had a game, it was last week or the week before, that Brooke Lopez scored 26 points and didn't make a single three-pointer. So Brooke Lopez is still got his old game in him, 
where he can just dominate in the paint and score 20 points within eight feet of the rim. Um, and then you throw in the Dirk Lopez factor. You bring up that Jake has, has mentioned that he's gotten better at shooting floaters. And then, yes, he is a solid three-point shooter, having one of his best three-point shooting seasons this year. So Giannis's x-ray is clear. Uh, he's got a back contusion, which is basically a back bruise. So I've seen a few people saying we should hold the Bucks out or hold Giannis. The Bucks should hold Giannis out. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think if Giannis says he's good to go, he's good to go. Whether you want to keep an eye on his minutes, keep an eye on how his back is reacting, how he's reacting to his play, if his play style is different, all that, if you want to monitor all that, totally fine with me. However, I don't think holding him out is really necessary. Um, being it just a back bruise and not anything, you know, ligament or structural damage or anything like that, it doesn't really concern me as a potential re-injury issue. Not like if he's playing through knee soreness or, say, the wrist injury that he had earlier uh, in the season, for example, you know, a bruise isn't really something you're worried about aggravating and a re-injury. So if Giannis is good to go, he's good to go. <clears throat> um, Jake said, I'd be willing to bet over the next four games that the Bucks all win. The Bucks will make 20 to 25 more threes. You mean like 20 to, okay, over the next four games. So on average, about five or six more threes than the Heat per game. I think I could agree with that. Um, I expect the Bucks to be in that 18 to 20 threes made range. And I really think Miami's probably going to be in the 10 to 12 range. They're probably going to shoot a little bit more based on their confidence that they got from game one. And based on what they've done throughout the entire regular season, that's the shot you want to let them have. That's that's not their strong suit. They were 27th in the NBA during the regular season. That's the shot that they don't succeed at shooting. Um, now I want to address something else when it comes to three-point shooting, and that is people immediately getting bent out of shape that the Milwaukee Bucks and Mike Budenholzer haven't changed anything from their three-point defense. And the fact is that it's simply not true. Um, in 2021-2022 season, the Milwaukee Bucks were 18th in the NBA in opponent three-point percentage. They made it a point of emphasis for the 2022-2023 season. The Bucks were ninth this season in opponent three-point percentage. Can't take one playoff game versus the entire 82-game regular season sample size and say, oh, this is just the same old Bucks." It's not. That, to me, strongly makes me feel that this game was an outlier as far as Miami's three-point shooting is concerned, especially when you factor in the fact that they weren't a good three-point shooting team to begin with in the like in the entire NBA season. And then the, being a point of emphasis for the Bucs through the regular season. And the one, the one person that I was going back and forth with about it on Twitter was saying, oh, well, this is the same thing from the Boston series. That was last season. You can't just ignore the entire 82-game sample size that happened in between Game 1 and last year's Boston series. The Bucks made changes in that, in that aspect. So that's, that's where I'm at with three-point shooting. Um, I strongly expect not only the Bucks' three-point shooting to go up back towards their average, but I also expect Miami's to go back down towards their average. And whether Giannis plays or not, I do think the Milwaukee Bucks win tonight. And going forward, um, looking at the schedule, the Bucks, um, they play tonight. 
They play Saturday and they play Monday. Uh, Jake said he thinks the Bucks are going to rattle off four straight. I'm I'm in agreement. I I think the Bucks are going to gentlemen sweep it. I think you losing Giannis early in the game kind of threw off the game plan. And then Miami being in, having an outlier three-point shooting game, I really think that's what made game one a loss for the Bucks, And I don't expect that to be the case over the next four games. So looking at it, whether whether Giannis plays tonight or not, the Bucs have had two days to, to plan for his absence, should that be the case. Um, so that's, that's where we're at with the Bucs. Um, Tyler Hero unfortunately did break two of his fingers in his right hand. It's, it's not something you want to see. Like it does potentially make the Bucks road easier by Miami having, I would say probably their third best player, um, not available for the rest of the series and for the rest of the playoffs, you know, whatever Miami would end up doing, but it's a situation where as far as competition goes, and I know Jake would agree with me on this, is that you want to beat your opponent at their best. It's the reason why we don't want to duck Boston. It's, I mean, it's, <coughs> it's the reason we want to face the Celtics on the way to a title. It's, it's the competition aspect of it. We don't want to have the 76ers upset the Celtics, a much better matchup for the Bucks. The Bucks kind of own the 76ers as far as the regular season went. Um, and don't want to have that where the Bucks win the 2023 finals and people are like, oh, well, they only won because they didn't have to face Boston. No, I want Boston. And I know that's what Jake would say. Jake would say, I want Boston. We want to beat them on the way to a title. So a team losing one of their best players is unfortunate. Um, they have some guys that they can use in Tyler Hero's absence, whether it be more Duncan Robinson or whether they bring Victor Oladipo back into their rotation. Um you know, it's unfortunate. Like, you don't want guys to get hurt. We never want guys to get hurt. Um, so, you know, it is it is what it is. Um, Jake said he wants Boston to shut the loudmouth fans up. I totally get it. Um, Jake said his positives were Drew showcasing his playmaking. He did have 15, 15 assists, I believe. And Chris was making shots. Chris Middleton was very, very efficient. If we get finals run, Chris Middleton, I mean, the Bucs will be in good shape as far as uh, the Miami series goes, whether Giannis is playing or not. Um, and the Knicks and the Cavaliers, it seems like those two are going to go back and forth uh, in that four or five matchup. So Bucks will be okay. Uh, Jake, I see you in the comments. Is there anything else you want to throw out about game one or going forward to game two? Absolutely. Bob said we got to take it one game at a time, one series at a time. Yeah, totally agree with that. I'm just checking in on the on the Brewers score real quick. All right. <clears throat> Going to move forward to baseball. Um, kind of uh, good news, bad news, kind of some more bad news as far as the Brewers are concerned. Um, I'm just going to throw out a couple things first before I jump into the games. Uh, Brandon Woodruff is out indefinitely. He has a, a scapular strain, so basically like a, a strain in his shoulder. 
uh, but like in the like the shoulder blade part, not in not in the actual joint of the shoulder. Um, he's out indefinitely. Adrian Hauser is rehabbing in AAA, so there is opportunity there um, for Adrian Hauser to get back into the starting rotation. It is encouraging to see Colin Ray pitching well in his absence. Um, and then as far as Corbin Burns, uh, his tightness was uh, not expected to cost him any starts. And um, the following day, Corbin Burns was okay. They said it was sternum tightness, um, not pectoral tightness. So uh, good news is Corbin Burns is okay. Garrett Mitchell is going on the 10-day injured list today. Blake Perkins has been called up from AAA. And I know there's going to be people saying, well, why aren't the Brewers calling up Sal Frelick? Why are they calling up Blake Perkins? The easiest answer is that Blake Perkins is on the 40-man roster and Sal Frelick is not. That's basically the entire reason. Um, if they wanted to put Sal Frelick on the 40-man roster, they'd have to make a corresponding move, like putting somebody on the 60-day injured list or um, designating somebody for assignment. And there's really not anybody on the 40-man roster that the Brewers would want to DFA at this point uh, just for a 10-day injured list stint. So I strongly expect Blake Perkins sent back down to AAA should Gary Mitchell only miss the 10 days um, that he's on the injured list for. So I'm going to go into uh, power pair and underrated performer. Uh, Jake sent me his power pair. Um, I will throw my pitcher out there. I went with Bryce Wilson. He pitched five innings. He got a win and a save in his two outings. Uh, did give up six hits, which isn't terrible, but um, two runs, only one earned, three strikeouts, just really solid work from Bryce Wilson. Uh, he's kind of filling in the role that Craig Council has asked of him, and he's done a pretty good job. So I went with Bryce Wilson. Uh, for my underrated performer, I went with Owen Miller. Uh, over the last week, he is 4 for 12. That's a 333 batting average, has two doubles, and over his last 12 plate appearances, uh, only two strikeouts. So uh, definitely good by Owen Miller. Um, as for power position player, Jake and I have the same one, Rowdy Telez. Over the last week, eight for 24, five runs scored, seven, seven runs batted in, three home runs, six walks, and he was on base in every game. So good on Jake for, for calling that out. Um, Jake's power pitcher, he went with Joel Pyams. That's a solid pick, definitely a good pick by Jake. Uh, three and a third innings. Only three hits, only one walk, no earned runs, and two strikeouts. So definitely a good pick, Jake, to go with Joel Piamps. And then his underrated performer is Christian Yelich. Eight for 26. That's a 307 batting average. Scored eight runs, driven three in, and hit two home runs. And he was on base in five of six games this week. So definitely a good call by Jake for both of his uh, power pair and his underrated performer. So definitely a good pick. What's up, Simon? Just about to switch into some baseball. And pretty great start by the Brewers uh, on their West Coast road trip after losing uh, two out of three to the Diamondbacks, uh, bouncing back and taking three out of four from the Padres. So starting with the Padres, coming into this series, the Brewers were 5-1 and one in their last six games against the Padres and then took three out of four. So now the Brewers are, are now – eight and two in their last 10 games versus the San Diego Padres. And I got to say, I am, I get an absolute kick out of beating the hell out of teams that have triple the payroll of the Brewers because it's, it's a perfect case study in spending doesn't equal wins. 
And it's, you know, I get wanting to spend as a small market team and wanting to be, you know, like investing in wins, but putting a bunch of money on your team doesn't automatically guarantee you anything. Um, Jake said he went with Yelich because he still has too many haters. I agree. It's like people just need to get new material. I think people still are just hating on Yelich because they want to be right for the last two years of complaining that they've done. Honestly, that's that's really what I think it boils down to. Uh, instead of taking it, you know, out so far that he's on to a decent start to the season after getting off to kind of a slow start, and he's kind of picking it up. So I think people just need some new material. And with the Brewers actually off to a really great start, um, Christian Yelich is just the easy target to complain about because people have been doing it for two years. So why not just roll on the same train? Um, Jake said it makes me happy to see the Padres lose. I think it makes everybody happy to see the Padres lose. Um, Simon said he's been watching a little bit of baseball, nobody in particular. I think, I really think the pitch clock and the speeding up of games and the bigger bases, which makes for more stealing. I really think it's good for baseball. I think it's a good thing. I think it's, it doesn't change too much of, you know, the tradition of the sport while also making it potentially more palatable for people who aren't hardcore baseball fans that are wanting to sit at the baseball stadium for four hours and, you know, have a minute and a half in between pitches and, the purity of the game. I don't think that the new rule changes have really affected the traditional aspect of the game um, while also speeding it up a little bit for, you know, for those who don't want to be there for four and a half hours. Um, Brittany said, Yelich is my favorite player of all time. Hey, I based on the 2018 and 2019 seasons. I totally get it. It was insanely fun to watch. I had to rock the, the Yelly hoodie today. Uh, so thanks to Tyler at Wisco Ball, actually, for making these. These are actually, like, super comfortable sweatshirts. So if you want a Yelly hoodie uh, to go with your Yelly tumbler that the brewers are giving away, you can go over to Wisco Ball and you can get Yelly hoodies and T-shirts. And you can also get Wisco Fanatics T-shirts there. So definitely check that out. So going into game one against the Padres. And this one... Uh, Colin Ray was called up for a spot start. That's his first start in Major League Baseball since 2020. Uh, Christian Yelich drew a leadoff walk. That's his eighth walk in 56 plate appearances. So game one against the Padres, (laughs) Christian Yelich's first plate appearance drawing a walk basically made it one in seven appearances at the plate. Christian Yelich was drawing a walk. So basically twice every three games, Christian Yelich has drawn walks. Uh, Rowdy Telez made it hurt immediately. Wilson Contreras had a deep fly out to right center. Um, I will say Manny Machado, I I don't like giving him credit because I think he's kind of a dirty player, even though I used to like him when he played for the Orioles. He took a, a few followed off pitches on a 3-2 count before hitting a home run. That was his first of the season. Uh, Colin Ray went through a 1-2-3 second inning. Um the Brewers drew a couple walks in the top of the third, didn't score any runs, but the San Diego pitcher was at 56 pitches already going out of the third inning. Um, Colin Ray got a 1-2-3 fourth, a 1-2-3 fifth. <coughs> yeah, Dan, it's just a solo one today. Um, top of the fifth, Mike Brasso hit a solo home run. Uh, Contreras extended his hit streak to 10, and 
Colin Ray got the first two outs in the sixth inning, uh, and then they brought in Peter Strzelecki to face Manny Machado, who struck him out with some nasty sliders. Uh, I could have easily gone with Peter Strzelecki um, as potentially an underrated performer or as a power pair pitcher even this week. His slider combination is is nasty. He threw some nasty sliders to Manny Machado to strike him out. Um, Colin Ray, five and two-thirds innings, only gave up two hits, both of them in the first inning. Uh, only one earned run, only one walk, and had six strikeouts. A very, very great job by Colin Ray. He easily could have been one of the underrated performers or a power pair pitcher. Just a fantastic job for a guy who hasn't made a start in Major League Baseball since 2020. So all the credit to Colin Ray for this first game against the Padres. Um, bottom of the seventh inning, Peter Strzelecki takes a ball off the foot, kind of questionable of whether he was going to stay in or not. Stayed in, gets a double play ball, gets out of the inning. So great job by Peter Strzelecki as well. Uh, bottom of the eighth, Matt Bush did get hurt by the walk and then gave up the home run to Trent Grisham. Both of those came with two outs. Uh, and then Bush got Manny Machado with a curveball. Top of the ninth inning, I will give Joey Weimer credit. Even though he did strike out against Josh Hader, he did take him deep in account. Did a good job battling against him, even though Josh Hader did end up getting the out. Um, bottom of the ninth, Devin Williams strikes out Juan Soto on a 95-mile-an-hour fastball at the bottom of the zone. Then strikes out Bogarts. And Nelson Cruz went through three, four, five, the heart of the order, and struck them all out. Devin Williams on my De- on my uh, Devin Williams prediction for earlier in the season that he's going to be the reliever of the year definitely made a statement in Game One against the Padres. Then we get to the top of the tenth. We're playing extra innings. We still got the runner on second rule as far as extra innings go in the regular season. Uh, Willie Adamas gets on base. And then Willie Adamas and Christian Yelich run a double steal. Both guys advance. <clears throat> and then Rowdy Telez hitting a sack fly, got in a run. Um, actually, like, smoked the ball to the right field warning track. Um, that gets out probably half the ballparks in Major League Baseball, just not Petco Park. Bottom of the 10th, Jake Sky, his power pitcher. Joel Piamps comes in. Uh, Willie Adamas gets a heads-up play by going to third base to get that lead runner. <clears throat> um, he gets Camposano to strike out on three pitches and Joel Piamps gets his first career save. So great job by Joel Piamps uh, in the bottom of the 10th of that first inning or that first game. Sorry. Um, Jake said he loves the aggressiveness on the base pads. Me too. And I think it makes the game more exciting. And I have a, a cool stat. I know I posted it on the page. If you didn't see that, definitely check that out. But <clears throat> the Brewers rookies, Garrett Mitchell, Bryce Terang, and Joey Weimer are all in the top 18 fastest players in all of baseball. So the Brewers definitely got some wheels coming up with their young guys. Game two, Christian Yelich leads off with an opposite field double. Willie Adamas hits a double and two batters in, and we're up 1-0 already. Brian Anderson, another double. And the Brewers are up 2-0. Luke Voigt follows it up with a broken bat single. The Brewers are up 3-0. Then uh, Mike Brasso hits another double. And Luke Voigt manages to score all the way from first base. And the Brewers are up 4-0.
Um, bottom of the first inning, not one, but two Willie Adamas web gems, um, both up the middle for him to spin and then throw out the runners at first base. Jake said, Weimer being a freak and that big and fast, or Weimer is a freak for being that big and that fast. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's awesome to enjoy. And, you know, there's people that might be like missing Hunter Renfro and we got the, we got the younger version. Got the younger version who's faster, basically, in Joey Weimer. Uh, even though he's been struggling a little bit at the plate over the last couple of weeks, uh, I have no no doubts that he's going to bounce back into form and he's going to get more playing time with Garrett Mitchell on the 10-day injured list. He's probably going to be the primary center fielder over the next 10 days. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Getting to the top of the second, uh, Christian Yelich pulled a home run. He's been doing a lot of opposite field hitting, but he pulled a home run, um, made the Brewers up 5 nothing. Top of the fourth inning, Owen Miller got a double. Uh, Bruce didn't score any runs, but Michael Waka was at 82 pitches already. Um, bottom of the fourth inning, San Diego had two runners. Uh, Brewers got a double play to get out of it. Top of the fifth, Rowdy Telez hit a, a solo home run on the first pitch that he saw. Um, Brewers are doing a lot of first pitch swinging, and when I get to last night's Mariners game, I do have a stat for that. Um, but the Brewers up six to nothing. Uh, bottom of the fifth, San Diego did get a run back. Uh, top of the sixth inning, William Contreras extended his hit streak to the to eleven. Um, and then Rowdy Telez another home run after Willie Adams drew a walk and William Contreras's infield single that made it ten to one. Uh, Lauer finished six innings, <clears throat> his first quality start of the season: five hits, five strikeouts, two walks, and one earned run. And then Bryce Wilson, my power pair pitcher guy, uh, three innings pitched, four hits, two strikeouts, one earned run. Uh, Christian Yelich was two for five in this game with two extra base hits. Willie Adamas, two for three and two walks. Uh, Willie Adamas has really improved his plate discipline so far this season. Uh, Wilson Contreras was one for three. He also had two walks. Uh, Luke Voigt, good to see him bouncing back. He was three for five. Owen Miller was two for five. Um, the four runs the Brewers scored in the first inning was their most in a first run or a first inning uh, this season. And this was Rowdy Telez's 11th multi home run game. And he drove in four runs by himself. So going into game three, uh, Christian Yelich led the game off on base again, an eight pitch walk. Uh, Winker. Joy, uh, I almost said Joey Winker. I keep getting Joey Weimer and Jesse Winker mixed up because their names are so close. Jesse Winker, uh, back from bronchitis, hits a double, and the Brewers are up one to nothing already. Brian Anderson followed it up with a single, and the Brewers are up two nothing real quick in this one. Uh, bottom of the first, Freddie Peralta was hurt by two, sorry, not two, three, two out singles tied the game at two. Uh, bottom of the second, Victor Caratini. We get a Victor Caratini catcher web gem um, diving for a barehanded catch off the back of a San Diego player, which 
he caught it before it hit the San Diego player's back. It didn't bounce off the back because okay. Um, and then two, uh, two more two out hits for San Diego gave them a three two lead. Uh, Freddie Peralta really just hurt by two out pitches or uh, two out hits. Um, <clears throat> see, uh, Joey Weimer hit by pitch with bases loaded, tied the game at three. Bottom of the fifth, two more two out hits, including the home run, gave San Diego their 5 3 lead. Bottom of the seventh, another home run made it an 8 3 lead. Uh, Brewers had the bases loaded twice in the bottom of the eighth, or sorry, the bottom of the eighth, walked twice with the bases loaded, gave San Diego their 10 to 3 lead. And then Varlin, Gus Varlin got hit by a Manny Machado line drive. He was okay. Thankfully, he got his hand up, so it kind of stopped the ball from hitting him just square in the jaw. It bounced off of his hand and then hit him. Um, he was okay. He was put on the 15-day uh, injured list with a hand contusion, so hopefully Gus Varland is recovering well. Uh, as far as the Brewers go, Freddie Peralta, five innings pitched, nine hits, did have five strikeouts, only one walk, so that is good. Um, and then Freddie Peralta, five earned runs, all five of those earned runs came with two outs. So. Freddie Peralta was very acknowledging after the game that he got hurt with two out hits. So, you know, something I expect Freddie Peralta to bounce back from. Like I said, for him to have five strikeouts and only one walk, that's a good ratio for Freddie Peralta to be at. Um, game four, Wade Miley got in a little trouble in the bottom of the first inning. He had first and third with nobody out. Um, he, got, he gets Juan Soto and Nelson Cruz to strike out, and then he gets a fly out to get out of the inning with no runs scored. So great, great job by Wade Miley, and he really settled in after that. Top of the second inning, Garrett Mitchell, bunt single, gets balked to second base, steals third base, and then scores on a Brian Anderson sack fly. Only run of the game. Um, so the Brewers are capable of winning games without just hitting home runs. That, to me, makes the Brewers dangerous. The fact that the Brewers can win games in more than one way, the Brewers can play small balls, they can get on base, use their speed, and manufacture runs, that, to me, makes the Brewers dangerous that they don't rely just on the home run ball. Bottom of the third, um, San Diego got a runner on third with one out. Wade Miley comes back with two strikeouts. So Wade Miley just doing his thing. Uh, top of the third, Joey Weimer, another fly out to the wall. Did the same thing in the top of the seventh. I feel like Joey Weimer was a combined five-mile-an-hour breeze away from having two home runs in this series. Uh, unfortunately, it just didn't go that way for him. Uh, Wade Miley, scoreless through five, only 61 pitches. Then he got through six innings on only 78 pitches. Then he got through the seventh inning, only gave up four hits, Zero walks, eight strikeouts, and zero earned runs. Talk about a like a Matt Arnold masterclass to go and grab Wade Miley and bring him back, and he still got gas in the tank to come out and deliver an outing like this against a very strong, um, high monetarily invested San Diego Padres team. Then Peter Strzelecki comes in. It's a one, two, three, eighth inning on only eight pitches. Uh, Josh Hader did go one, two, three in the ninth for San Diego. And then we get some drama in the bottom of the ninth. Devin Williams gets two strikeouts after a walk. 
uh, then gives up a single and another walk to load the bases with two outs, and he strikes out former Brewer Trent Grisham to win the game 1-0 to zero for the Brewers. Just had to make us sweat it out, Devin Williams did, but the Brewers got the win, took three out of four from San Diego, and are now 8-2 and two in their last 10 games against the Padres, which is just just fantastic to to be doing that over a team, like I said, with basically three times the payroll the Brewers have. Um, going back to the third game of that series, Jake said seven of their 10 runs were with two outs. That's, that's a lot. But we're going to go to the Mariners series. This is the first time the Brewers have been in Seattle since 2016. And right now I'm going to pull up just to check and see what's going on with the Brewers. Uh, last I saw, they were down two to nothing. Just going to pull it up and make sure that that's still the case. Because if it's not, then I want to see what's going on. Okay, they're still down two to nothing. Uh, I sent Jake a statistic earlier about the Brewers and being in Seattle. I just want to pull it up quick. Um, if the Brewers managed to come back and win today, it would be their first sweep in Seattle since September 8th through the 10th, 1989. The Brewers have played 16 series in Seattle since that sweep. So the Brewers rooting for a comeback for them today um, to get their first sweep in Seattle since 1989. That's wild. That was before Jake or I were born. <laughs> um, anyways, game one of the Mariners series. Both teams went one, two, three in the first. Top of the second. Rowdy Telez had an opposite field single. Brian Anderson hit a single. And then Luke Voigt hit a double. It was his first extra base hit as a Brewer. Owen Miller followed that up with a single, and the Brewers were up 2-0. Uh, Joey Weimer had a check swing, kind of RBI fielder's choice, uh, put the Brewers up 3-0. Uh, bottom of the second inning, Seattle got one back on the solo home run off of a changeup by Corbin Burns. Um, Rowdy Telez, very nice job to have a ball hit towards him. For him to have the know-how and the the quick fleet of foot for him to throw um, out of a ground ball, throw to second, and then get himself back organized, get his feet on the bag, and get the 3-6-3 double play. Then a diving stop to keep a ball from going down the, the right field line, and then the flip to Burns. Um, so good good defensive inning by Rowdy Telez. Um, bottom of the fourth. Good job by Corbin Burns to pick off Eugenio Suarez with two out, um, with two on during the the heart of the Mariners lineup. So that was a really big play by Corbin Burns there. Um, top of the sixth, first two guys on base: Willie Adamas with a single and William Contreras with a walk. And then Brian Anderson on the first pitch hit a single that put the Brewers up four to one. Bottom of the sixth, that's when Corbin Burns left with the tightness. Um, Corbin Burns kind of grabbing it like his left chest, kind of the middle of his chest area. And Corbin Burns, or not Corbin Burns, Craig Council immediately shut it down. Uh, this to me wasn't even that it was necessarily something super serious with Corbin Burns. And now having the hindsight, like we know it's not a super serious thing. But Craig Council's not taking any chances with anybody this early in the season. So to me, that should have been, you know, something that if we didn't have any news would be basically something to, to potentially look at as a you know a reason to be optimistic that Corbin Burns wasn't going to miss extended time just that Corbin just that Craig Council's being overly cautious to not end up in a situation where you know he ends up missing time so 
Um, Peter Strzelecki kind of forced to come in kind of cold earlier than he was expected to, allowed an inherited runner to score, uh, made the game 4-2. to two. Top of the seventh, Bryce Terang comes in to pinch hit. First pitch swinging, hits a pinch hit home run. Uh, Christian Yelich follows it up uh, with a walk and a stolen base. And then William Contreras had an RBI single, put the Brewers up 6-2. to two. Uh, the, That was uh, Murphy, the pitcher for the, the Mariners. That were the first runs that he allowed this season. Um, top of the eighth inning, I want to give Joey Weimer credit for drawing a nine-pitch walk. Uh, the plate discipline of the young guys that are coming up, the Garrett Mitchell, Joey Weimer, Bryce Terang, Sal Freelick when he gets up, uh, Robert Moore, uh, Eric Brown, guys the Brewers have been drafting. They've been drafting a lot of high walk, low strikeout uh, contact hitters. And we're starting to see that. I wanted to give Joey Weimer credit for that, uh, for drawing a nine-pitch walk on the top of the eighth. Uh, bottom of the eighth, Julio Rodriguez had a solo home run. I mean, you're not going to keep that guy off the scoreboard for long. That guy is going to be a superstar in Major League Baseball if he's not already. Um, the Mariners locked him up for 10 years um, so he's going to be a staple of the league for a long time. Top of the ninth, Roddy Telez drew a walk. Brian Anderson hit a single. Uh, Luke Voigt reached on an error between the legs, and Roddy Telez gets home on the ball drop. Uh, the insurance run let the Brewers save Devin Williams after he pitched 33 pitches against San Diego in game four of that series. So that was an important insurance run to be able to sit down Devin Williams um, and then bring in Jake's guy, Joel Piams, who pitched a scoreless ninth inning. So Brian Anderson, three for five, played great defense in this game. Uh, Luke Voigt, one for four, does have a four-game hitting streak while playing in the absence at DH primarily for Jesse Winker. So Luke Voigt stepping up at the perfect time, which is great for him, great for the Brewers. Uh, Corbin Burns pitched five and a third before leaving with the injury. Uh, only gave up two runs, three, three strikeouts, which is low for him. Um, and the two walks. So it seems like um, Burns is just kind of having a little bit of up and down with walks and strikeouts. But um, Brewers got the win, and Corbin Burns gave up the three hits. Uh, Jake brought up that the Brewers' bullpen leads the majors in ERA. I think it's 191, and I think the Yankees are second at 217. So Brewers the only team in Major League Baseball with a bullpen ERA under two on a position group that was questionable and unknown going into this season. So a great job by the Brewers bullpen so far this season. <clears throat> uh, Peter Strzelecki in the uh, the two-thirds of an inning, one hit, one strikeout. Hobie Milner, a scoreless inning. Uh, Dave Bush, or Dave Bush, wow. I haven't pulled that out in a while. Matt Bush gave up the one earned run just on the solo shot to Julio Rodriguez. And then Joel Piams, scoreless ninth inning, one hit, one strikeout. Uh, going into... Last night's game, this game was this was a long game. I'm glad I didn't stay up to watch it, and I got up early and watched it this morning. Um, <clears throat> Christian Yelich, another leadoff on base. So that's seven or sorry, six games, and Christian Yelich was on base to lead the game off in four of them. So great job by Christian Yelich getting on base to start games. His opposite field leadoff home run on a 3-2 count left the bat at 102 miles per hour. Keep that. Keep that thought in mind. Um, Jake said I'm not there to get tongue-tied, so I had to. Hey, glad I could pick up the slack for you on getting tongue-tied. <laughs> um, Colin Ray, one base runner uh, in the first inning at a quiet bottom of the second inning. Top of the second, Brewers did go one, two, three, 
spot Gilbert, the starter for Seattle, was already at 48 pitches. Uh, bottom of the third, or sorry, top of the third. Owen Miller, great hustle on a double. He hit a ball into the left center gap, but saw the center fielder kind of just jogging towards it, thinking that Owen Miller was going to hold to a single. Owen Miller busting it out of the batter's box straight to second base. Great hustle by him. Then Christian Yelich hit a single that scored Owen Miller. That one left the bat at 108 miles an hour. So we're in a situation similar to last year where Christian Yelich is just hitting the ball hard, but he was a victim of the switch last year. And the ball that he hit went between the first and second baseman where last season there's a guy standing there in right field to throw him out. So Christian Yelich benefiting from the the banning of the switch or at least uh, strict rules on the switch. Um, after that, Willie Adamas scored Yelich from first. Brewers are up 3 nothing. Bottom of the third, Colin Ray got into a little bit of trouble. Um, got the bases loaded with one out. Um, had Suarez on an 0-2 pitch and then hit him. And then had Raleigh down 0-2 and gave up a double. Um, that made the game 2-0. to um, Or sorry, a, a 2-0 sack fly tied the game after that. The double made it 2 um, sorry, double made it two to two. Um, and then the sack fly tied the game. Uh, base then, sorry, after that, a walk and a single that gave Seattle the four three lead. And then we get to the top of the fourth, Brewers went one, two, three. Bottom of the fourth, Mariners went one, two, three. Top of the fifth, Brewers went one, two, three. Bottom of the fifth, Mariners went one, two, three. Quick couple innings there. Top of the sixth, Willie Adamas hit a solo home run to tie the game. That was an opposite field hit. I know I brought it up last season for ways that the Brewers could improve. One of them was swinging at the first pitch, which going into today's game, the Brewers were batting 466 against first pitches. That is absurd. 466 against first pitches. And then the other one I brought up was opposite field hitting, which the Brewers have done a pretty good job of. William Contreras is definitely using the opposite field. Well, Willie Adamas is kind of using the opposite field. Christian Yelich is using the opposite field. Uh, it's good to see guys doing that, using the entire field. And and it, it's benefiting the team. So that's great work by the Brewers. Uh, Hobie Wilner did walk off the leadoff batter in the bottom of the sixth. Did a good job getting a double play ball after that. Uh, bottom of the seventh, Hobie Wilner stays in to get Colton Wong to strike out. And then Joel Piamps, again, good call up by Jake. Gets two outs on two pitches. Top of the eighth, Christian Yelich, opposite field single. Didn't end up coming in to score, but it uh, just goes to show using the opposite field. Bottom of the eighth, Matt Bush bouncing back, gets three strikeouts. His When he's got his fastball-curveball combination working, it's disgusting. Like he throw, if he's throwing curveballs for strikes and then painting the corner with his fastball, he's mm, – damn near tempted to say he's untouchable when he's pitching that well. And that's the capability that he's got. And if he pitches like that for the season this year, he's going to look like a steal for the Brewers trading for him last season with two years on his contract. So Matt Bush, good to see him bounce back. Um, bottom of the ninth, Devin Williams goes strikeout, strikeout, walk, strikeout. Uh, top of the 10th, Brewers see a familiar face. Trevor Gott, former Brewer, pitched last year. Um, Garrett Mitchell dove into third base, had like a long reach, kind of a hard fall. And it looked like for me, um, 
that he when as he was sliding past third base and he kind of grabbed the base with his left forearm that that might have like strained like the inside of his forearm while his fingers were gripping the base and it kind of pulled and that made that that inside forearm muscle strain i don't know that but that's what it looked like and that's kind of what it seemed practical to me um with him grabbing the base like that 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 would strain the inside of the forearm and that's what it looked like he was holding as well as when he made the the catch and throw in the bottom of the sinning but um he did stay in um get to um Bryce Terang grounded into a double play and the Brewers weren't allowed to challenge it they said that he didn't that Craig Council didn't come to ask for the challenge within the 15 seconds. Um, I think they wanted the challenge, uh, the shortstop not being on second base when he received the relay throw. So the, just the fact that the Brewers weren't allowed to challenge, it was kind of weird, but I guess they said that he didn't make the 15 seconds. Uh, bottom of the 10th, Garrett Mitchell did stay in, but came out after making the throw home. Um, it was the first time that Bryce Wilson had pitched in extra innings in his career. So it was kind of an interesting thing for him. Um, the wild pitch pass ball, whatever you want it to call, uh, allowed Colton Wong to score from third or allowed him to get to third. Sorry. And then he scored on the sack fly, um, followed which with two singles, but, uh, Bryce Wilson did get out of it with a three pitch strikeout. So good for him on that. Um, what's up Taylor. I haven't seen you in a while commenting. It's good to, good to see you back in the comment section. Be sure to be here on Friday night, Taylor. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, not that watching me isn't fun, but it's definitely more fun with more people. Uh, so top of the 11th inning, Joey Weimer uh, advances on the Christian Yelich ground out against Justin Topa, another former Brewer. And then uh, Christian Yelich scored on another ground out that gave the Brewers a 6-5 lead. Bottom of the 11th, uh, get a fly out to Brian Anderson in right field who throws an absolute laser to third base to keep the runner at second. So great, great throw by Brian Anderson out in right field um, to keep the runner at second. And, oh, shit, went to go pull up the Brewers score from today. And the Brewers had a five-run top of the seventh inning, and the Brewers are up five to two now. Uh, <clears throat> so top of the seventh. Uh, went William Contreras single, Jesse Winker single, Brian Anderson single, Luke Voigt single, Owen Mitchell, Owen, sorry, Owen Miller fly out, Christian Yelich strikeout. So then with two outs, a Bryce Terang double drove in two runs. Rowdy Telez single drove in two runs, and the Brewers are up five to two on the Mariners now. If the Brewers can hold on. And win today and sweep the Mariners. That'll be their first sweep in Seattle since 1989. Wow, that's awesome for them to come back while talking about the other games from that series. Um, uh, Blake Perkins did come in for Rowdy Telez to pinch run and is now taking over in center field. So we're getting a little bit of Blake Perkins in center field. <clears throat> so Brewers are up 5-2. Just need them to hold on to that lead and and get the sweep. That's what we want for the Brewers. Um, I got to say, one of my bold predictions was that William Contreras would be in the top 24 of pitch framing. 
um, and he'd be higher than his brother, Wilson Contreras. And so far, that bold prediction looks great. Uh, William Contreras is number one in Major League Baseball in pitch framing, and I believe he's also first in blocks. Um, so there's definitely some exciting um, things going on behind the plate for the Brewers with William Contreras. Uh, his defense being a question mark when the Brewers traded for him, and for him to be not only excelling in that area, but to be leading the league is is fantastic. So I had to give William Contreras credit for that. Um, the next games the Brewers got coming up, um, they are off tomorrow. And then Friday through Sunday, um, Boston is in town. And then Monday through Wednesday, Detroit is in town. Um, I'm going to predict a five-in-one week for the Brewers. I'm going to say they win the Boston series two to one, and I'm going to say they sweep the Tigers. Um, Tigers are kind of in shambles. They're getting to a point where they're calling up some young guys, and um, that's pretty much where they're at. They're they're hanging on to the ghost of Javi Baez, who is not not playing well, which is funny to me because I think he's one of the more overrated players in baseball. But it is what it is. Um, runs saved is the other uh, stat. Yeah, Bob, I was just talking about it. I'm excited. I'm excited. Bob, if you didn't hear me, the Brewers are looking for their first sweep in Seattle since 1989. So that would be awesome if they can finish that out. Uh, Taylor said there's thoughts that we're looking at Zach Britton. I mean, it can't hurt. The guy's he's been a super, super productive um, reliever in Major League Baseball. I mean, there's tons of young guys we're looking at. Um, looking at potentially... Um, the Gus Varland injury, um, Elvis Baguero was called up. We'll see if we see him at all. Um, but Adrian Hauser is getting closer to his return. Uh, it's it's kind of just depth at this point. Um, and maybe maybe if, if Matt Bush were to keep struggling the eighth inning, but I really don't think he's been a problem. Um, just the whole home run that he gave up to Julio Rodriguez. And it, even at that point, like, I'm a, I'm a strong proponent of good offense beats good defense every time. And like I said, Julio Rodriguez is going to be a superstar um, and you're not going to keep him off the scoreboard for long, but should that be the case? And they want to maybe look at how they used to do with um, Jeremy Jeffress, Corey Knable and Josh Hader and have a, a dominant seven, eight, nine and have that with, with Colby Milner pitching the seventh and Zach Britton pitching the eighth and Devin Williams pitching the ninth. Like I'm all for it for a guy who's, who's been there and done that in Major League Baseball, I really don't think you can go wrong with doing it. Um, Bill, only six games. Five plus two equals seven. So I'm going to think that you're going four two. He said losing one to each team. I I really don't see it unless the Brewers are going to like go with a, <clears throat> a, a bullpen game or something like that in the Detroit series just to kind of, I don't know, refresh the the order. But – I really, I don't see the Brewers losing to Detroit. I, I just don't. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with my five and one week that they lose one to Boston, but win the rest of the other five games. Um, Jake said, "Bill, be bold. Predict a undefeated week." I mean, like I'm, I'm all for it. Bill said, "Bill said, sorry, four to two. I've always sucked at math. I get it. It happens. Um, it is good to see." Good to see the Brewers doing things with two outs as well and runners in scoring position. Um, definitely something the Brewers struggled with last season that they are doing well. 
Uh, I'm just going to pull this this brewery game up. They are now into the top of the eighth. So the Brewers got out of the the seventh inning, didn't give up any runs. Um, Bob said, before we go, can we talk about two other teams that need recognition, the Admirals in the Calder Cup playoffs and the Milwaukee Wave in the Major Arena Soccer League Eastern Conference Finals versus Baltimore Blast? Absolutely. Um, the Milwaukee Admirals, they did actually just have a – a couple guys sent back down from the Predators who are eliminated from the playoffs. So the Admirals were getting some reinforcements. Uh, hopefully they can go on a good run. They were um, they were like the number one team in the AHL when COVID happened, so they didn't really get a chance to, to make a good run in 2020. Um, so as far as the Milwaukee Wave, I'll be honest, I don't pay much attention. I haven't been a soccer guy, but definitely, definitely um, cheering for the Milwaukee team. Uh, in that situation, um, Bob said they got seven players back. I knew it was at least three that I saw. So seven players, that's major reinforcements for the Admirals. Uh, Taylor said, I think Strzelecki can be an eighth inning guy. Peter Strzelecki was my pick for for the underrated performer of the season when we did our preseason Brewers primer. And like he straight up could have just been a pick for the best pitcher on the Brewers. He's been fantastic so far this start to the season. Um and he, he maybe he could develop into that eighth inning role. Uh, I think Hobie Milner is also a guy who could potentially develop into that eighth inning role. Um, he's just not a super high strikeout guy. He gets he gets guys out. Um, but and you know, if you're getting guys out, to me, it doesn't really matter how you're doing it if you're getting guys out. So I think Hobie Milner is, is going to push for that eighth inning role as the season goes on and then into next season. Um, and then maybe Peter Strzelecki takes over as the seventh inning guy next year, and you're looking at Strzelecki, Milner, and Devin Williams for the seven, eight, nine roles next year. Um, but can't complain with how the Brewers have started off this season, unless you're really, really looking for reasons to do so. <clears throat> but as far as the Brewers are concerned, uh, Jake and I would really appreciate good vibes sent our way. We're hoping to hear for some good news on some things that we have going on that does concern the Brewers. So send uh, send Jake and I some good vibes. And then before I go, I I really want to give a shout out to the ladies at uh, Mental Health America. They've been fantastic in being willing to help us out with things that we have going on that we're trying to get going for us, for, for Jake and I to, to be able to level up uh, the things that we're doing with the show. Um, and with mental health month coming up, we're trying to trying to make some really big plans and hopefully, hopefully it works out. Um, so we really appreciate the ladies at mental health America for helping us out and, and being willing to work with us and to help us really accomplish some stuff that, um, that Jake and I are really excited for, uh, hopefully coming up, um, in May, which is mental health month. So, um, Send us good vibes, and we hope we get good news that we can share with people who are watching the sh- watching the show and enjoying the show. Um, going forward, I want to thank everybody that commented on the show today, including Jake, who couldn't who couldn't join the show live because he's sick. So hopefully, Jake's feeling better. And thanks for commenting along, Bob, Bill, Taylor. Uh, thank you for commenting along, Simon, for checking in, Brittany as well. Uh, we will be back on Friday night. Make sure you watch the Friday night show. It's going to be the culmination of five weeks of player positions that we dove into, two different positions every week over the last five weeks. 
This Friday is part six, the final, final part of our draft series. Mock drafts all day Friday. Nothing but mock drafts on Friday night's shows. It's going to be Jake, myself, Bryant, Simon, Full House. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it's the culmination of everything that we've been doing over the last five weeks. Uh, Justin, you have a good night as well. Be sure to tune in on Friday night. Like I said, send us good vibes. Hopefully we have good news to share soon. And we will see you guys Friday night. Thanks for watching. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.